the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. WTBN, Pinellas Park. Up next is Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. Now, this morning, we have got to deal with doctrine. We have got to put on our thinking helmets. And we have got to go beneath the surface because this is the intention of the scripture is to give us the most firm security that God can offer. What does justify mean? It does not mean to pardon or forgive. You are not just forgiven. You are not just pardoned. You are justified. What is justification? It is the act of God whereby he legally, he legally declares an ungodly person to be righteous even while their behavior is ungodly. Now that is heavy. It is the act of God whereby he legally pronounces us righteous even while we're in our sin. Uh-oh, the D word, doctrine. Lots of people are nervous when that topic comes up, but it's really not scary. Doctrine is simply what we believe. We all have doctrines about all sorts of things. Doctrine what we really believe, as opposed to what we say we believe, is what determines how we pray and how we act. So, while we can believe anything we want, if our beliefs don't match the facts, uh, then we're going to have a harder time getting along in life, aren't we? Welcome to Verse by Verse with Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. We're in the midst of a study about a wonderful doctrine, God's sovereignty and our security. Our text is in Romans chapter 8. In this highly encouraging passage, the Apostle Paul wrote that as part of our redemption in Christ, we are justified. Okay, but what exactly does that mean? How does justification relate to eternal security? Let's go to God's Word now and find out. Here's Pastor Steve. Now, there are some people who would agree with all that Paul has said, giving his arguments concerning God's protection and provision for eternal security. There's some people have no problem with that. But these folks, some, still think that a Christian can lose his salvation. Why? Because they would say that someone can point out their sin to God and convince him that we have no right to be in heaven. In other words, the argument is this. Someone could prove that we're guilty. Let's look at verse 33 as we continue this morning. All this has been just to catch you up on this. Verse 33 The question is this, who will bring a charge against God's elect? At this point, Paul takes us to a courtroom scene. That's the thought here. And he says this, who is going to come forward in this courtroom scene and accuse God's elect? Who will come forward and level a legal charge against God's people? A charge that can be substantiated, a charge that'll stick. Who will do it? Paul is asking, is there anyone who can bring a legal charge against God's people and have it stand up in the eternal court of heaven? It's a good question. 
Is there anyone who can do it? In fact, this word charge is used in the New Testament always for a legal charge. Paul spoke of this in, in Acts 26.2 when he said that I am set for a defense. I've been accused and I'm defending myself against the Jewish people. He said that to King Agrippa. So it's always used of a legal manner. This is a legal charge. Now the problem some people have with eternal security is that they think someone can come before God and legally accuse us of sin and therefore convince God that we shouldn't be saved. In other words, they would prove us guilty. It's the old problem of sin in our lives. The question is raised, who would do such a thing? Well, I know a lot of people who would like to do such a thing. I know a lot of people. Uh, You know them too. You know that there are unbelievers who look at your life and look at my life and are delighted to catch us in a sin, and they respond to us by saying, and you call yourself a Christian. Implication being, you're really not. You just call yourself a Christian. And then there are others, uh, believers now, who look at us and say, you lost your salvation. You blew it. You did this, and a believer can stoop this low. Have you ever noticed those who, um, who believe you can lose your salvation never think that they've lost it? They only think that you lost it. They always think that someone else lost it. These folks level charges at us, but I want you to know there's only one in all the universe who can level a legal charge against us in God's presence. All the others only level charges at us, but there's only one who can stand in the presence of God and level a legal charge, and that's Satan. Who will bring such a charge against us? Satan does it, and he does it all the time. In Revelation 12.10, why don't you turn there, Revelation 12.10. He is defined by the Spirit of God as this. John says, and I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of the brethren has been thrown down, who accuses them before our God when day and night. Satan isn't just running around the world causing problems for us. I mean, he does that too with his host of demonic forces. But he also spends much of his time in heaven pestering God about us. He's absolutely the eternal pest. He's always bothering God. Satan points his finger at us and he shouts to God, that person has no right to be in heaven. Look at his sin. Look at her sin. Certainly you can't let a person who does those things in your heaven. You see, all of a sudden he becomes real spiritual. He becomes concerned about righteousness. Do you realize that Satan continually levels a charge against you? You think you're just minding your business, going on in your life. Satan is the prosecuting attorney of the ages. And he's determined to prove your sin makes you unfit for heaven. And he will not give up until God deals with him. This is, this is a pattern in scripture. In the book of Job, we, uh, Dr. Lehman Strauss, when he was here, dealt with that. But in Job, we, I just want to remind you of that. In Job chapter 1, verse 1, there was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job. And that man was blameless, upright, fearing God, and turning away from evil. Godly man, righteous man, believer in the Lord God. In verse 7, the Bible says, And the Lord said to Satan, From where do you come? And Satan answered the Lord and said, From roaming about on the earth and walking around on it. 
He says in verse 8, And the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? For there is no one like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, fearing God and turning away from me. Had Satan considered him, he had observed him. He'd become a student. Do you realize that Satan knows more about you than you know yourself? He watches you. He observes you. He knows your moves. And Satan answered the Lord, Does Job fear God for nothing? No, Job, what's he doing? He's, he's indicting Job's motives. No, the, he's saying the man lacks integrity, God. Verse 10, hast thou not made a hedge about him and his house and all that he has on every side? Thou hast blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land. But put forth thy hand now and touch all that he has and he'll curse you to your face. See, Satan is the accuser of the brethren. What's he doing? He's accusing Job of having... No integrity. Sure, he honors you, God. Look what you've given him. Take it away and he'll curse you to your face. The accuser of the brethren. Not only did he, did he accuse one of the most godly men in the Old Testament, but he accused the high priest. In Zechariah chapter 3, we read this. Zechariah is, is saying this, Then he showed me Joshua, not Joshua after Moses, but Joshua the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing at his right hand to accuse him. There is a high priest of Israel, a godly man, and Satan is right there to accuse him. And the Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, Satan. Indeed, the Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is not this a brand plucked from the fire? In other words, isn't this one of my redeemed? That you're accusing? Of course it is. Though I rebuke you. Verse 3. Now Joshua was clothed with filthy garments and standing before the angel. What does that mean? Filthy garments are simply symbolic of sin. And Satan was there to say, God, look at his sin. How dare he stand before you? And the Lord said, I rebuke you. So Satan not only is rebukes, uh, accuses rather godly men like Job, but a high priest like Joshua. So don't think he's not busy accusing you. Don't think he's not after you. If he can accuse these people, and they're so godly, then he can accuse us. And he's got a lot to accuse us about, doesn't he? He really does. Pride, envy, jealousy, unforgiving spirit, covetousness, lust, spiritual apathy, all of these. And we can go on and on with on and on with a list of all these things. But the point is, can he prove it? Can Satan prove it? Sure, these things are in our life, but can the charge stick? Can the legal charge stick against us? Can the prosecuting attorney win his case? That's the point. Sure, we know there's sin in our life, but can he convince God to charge us with that sin? Well, let's look at verse 33 again. Who will bring a charge against God's elect? Obviously, it's Satan, the only one who can do it and will do it and does do it. But look what Paul says. God is the one who justifies or it could be a question, uh, kind of an exclamation even. God, the one justifying? Who's going to charge? God is going char to charge us? God's the one who justifies us. How can he charge us with sin? In other words, the, the point is this. Is God going to listen to Satan's accusations against us and then turn around and charge us with being eternally guilty so that we have lost our salvation? And the answer is, of course not. How could you think such a thing? Because God is the one who has justified us. 
See, it's a moral impossibility for God to charge us with sin and condemn us. Why? Because God has already justified us. Now, this morning, we have got to deal with doctrine. We have got to put on our thinking helmets, and we have got to go beneath the surface, because this is the intention of the Scripture, is to give us the most firm security that God can offer. What does justify mean? It does not mean to pardon or forgive. You are not just forgiven. You are not just pardoned. You are justified. What is justification? It is the act of God whereby he legally, he legally declares an ungodly person to be righteous even while their behavior is ungodly. Now that is heavy. It is the act of God whereby he legally pronounces us righteous even while we're in our sin. Let's turn our Bibles to Romans chapter 3. To understand this, we need to go back in our study of Romans. Context, first three chapters of Romans, Paul is telling man he has a need for righteousness. He puts on trial the pagan and he says, you are declared guilty. He puts on trial the Jew and he says, you are declared guilty. Why? Because when the pagan had truth, he rejected it. When the Jew had the law, he rejected it. Man is, is a sinner. Mankind is lost. Mankind is in need of righteousness. That is his greatest need. The end of chapter 3, Paul begins to tell us that God has provided a righteousness. Not according to the law, but a righteousness that's different. It doesn't come by the law, but it is revealed in the law. Verse 21, but now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested. Being witnessed by the law and the prophets. The law and the prophets spoke about this. Verse 22, even the righteousness of God, how? Through faith in Jesus Christ. For all those who believe, for there is no distinction. It isn't just for Jew, it isn't just for Gentile, it's for all. Why? For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. It isn't just for one class of people. It's righteousness provided for all. Why? Because all need it. That's why. Now he says in verse 24, being justified as a gift by his grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. Justification is a legal declaration. It does not matter how you feel. It does not matter whether you feel guilty or condemned. God has pronounced you righteous. Now, you may not always act righteous, but that's not the point here. The point here is that you are legally declared righteous. The record books of heaven, it says, under your name or on top of your name, righteous. Whether you believe that or not, it's there. Why did he declare us righteous? Is it because we're so good? Because we're so nice? No. It says in verse 24, being justified as a gift. As a gift. Do you know what this word gift means? Literally, it means without a cause. Undeserving. In fact, it's the same word used in John 15, 25, when Jesus said to his disciples, the world hates me without a cause. Without a cause. In other words, what he's saying is, that there's nothing in me, there's no evil in me which would, which would bring, a, which would bring a deserve hatred. And he's saying, I didn't deserve to be hated. I don't deserve to be hated because there's nothing evil in me to hate. So we don't deserve to be given righteousness. That, that's all. It means it's a gift. It's, it's without being deserved. But how can God do this? Well, he says in verse 20, 24, it is through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. Now, what does he mean by that? Redemption. God declares us righteous through the redemption 
of Christ. The reason that God can declare us righteous, even though we, don't, we are not in our behavior righteous, is because Christ paid for our unrighteousness. That's what redemption means. In ancient times, slaves were brought into the marketplace, and people would purchase them. And they, having purchased them, they would take them out of the marketplace to do with them as they pleased. The picture of redemption in the Bible is that God pictures us as under sin. We are prisoners of sin before Christ saves us. We are slaves to sin. It's a message of Romans chapter 6. You were a slave. To redeem us from sin's power, there must be a payment. There must be a ransom so that we can be set free and delivered from our bondage. But who's going to set us free? Who can possibly pay the price? The wages of sin is what? Death. Eternal death. And this is what Christ's death accomplished. When Christ died for us, he was paying the price. And having paid the price, he set us free. We were under the wrath of God, and we were sentenced to eternity in hell, and the wages of sin is death, separation from God. We were prisoners. Christ came along, and he died in our place. God put our sin upon him, our unrighteousness upon him. And then God took Christ's righteousness, and he put it upon our record. But what did redemption really accomplish? To understand this, to understand what's behind and beneath the surface, look at verse 25 of Romans chapter 3. How did it work? Why did God do this? How come? Whom God displayed, speaking of Christ, publicly as a propitiation in his blood through faith. Propitiation, big word. I usually don't even pronounce it right. I spit and everything. People in the front row are in big trouble when I say this. But propitiation in pagan circles meant the appeasing of divine wrath. That was how a pagan would typically uh, receive this, this word. Why did they do this? Why did they think it was appeasing of divine wrath? Because false deities were gods of anger, gods of malice. You don't read about a god of love with false deities. Always a god of anger, a god of wrath, a god of malice. And if the heathen wanted anything from this kind of a god, like rain or, or crops or victory in battle, they paid them off. They bribed them. They appeased them by all sorts of things, uh, even, unfortunately and tragically, sacrificing their own children at times. Horrible, horrible things. But when Paul uses this word, propitiation, he uses it in a different sense, because our God is not vindictive. Our God is not malicious. Our God is not like that. He doesn't delight in bringing punishment to the unsaved. And he doesn't need to be appeased, and you cannot bribe him. We don't bribe God. But this word means that God's holiness and justice must be satisfied. If you want another word for propitiation, think of satisfaction. God is a holy God. God is a righteous God. God is a God of justice. His law has been broken, and the holiness of God demands that when his law is broken, there must be punishment and payments, or else his holiness will not be satisfied. That's what propitiation means. God has been offended by our sin. His holiness needs to be satisfied. And when Christ died to redeem us, this is the point, God's holiness, his justice was completely satisfied. Christ died in my place. The judgment of God that I deserve fell on Christ, 
and the justice and holiness and righteousness of God was totally satisfied. Totally. Now that it was his justice satisfied, he's able to reach out in love and mercy and grace and to provide us with his gift of righteousness. He couldn't do it before. He couldn't reach out in love, giving man righteousness, while his holiness wasn't satisfied. God would then be compromising. God's love and holiness always cooperate with each other. And that's why you find this, and I'm not going to deal anymore with verse 25, but you find that, um, or verse 26, that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Christ. He is absolutely just. God has never compromised his holiness. But in love, he's also the justifier. Because his justice has been satisfied. Back to Romans chapter 8. Now do you understand a little more why Satan's accusation is harmless? Satan comes to God and says, look at Kreloff. Look at that guy. What a sinner. He shouldn't be one of your children. He is so sinful. It's, it's just embarrassing. It really is. And I charge him with being guilty. And then he lists all of these sins that he can find. And you know what? In some of those, he might even be right. He's a liar, but he doesn't have to lie with this. He might even be right. He doesn't have to lie about my sin. There's enough truth there to just speak the truth. And he'd find out that I'm sinful. But it does no good. And it doesn't do any good with you either. It does no good because God has legally pronounced me righteous. God is the one who justified me. He's not going to turn around now and declare me guilty. Can't do that to, to a person. Can't charge him with guilt and also declare him righteous. Well, someone says, well, can our sinful behavior undo our justification? When God justified you, you were in sin. You were in sin. Why do you think now that sin's going to unjustify? I don't even know if that's a word, unjustify, but you know what I mean. Why do you think now? God's going to say, oh, now I see. I didn't see before that you were such a sinner. Now I see. Oh, no, never do. I've got to take back my pronouncement. No, that's, that's absurd. And by the way, I might add that Paul is being absurd here. These are absurd arguments to show the ridiculousness of thinking we can lose our salvation. This is a legal issue. It is a legal charge. It is a legal declaration that you've been justified and you can't overthrow the law. Have you ever had a run-in with the law? I don't mean something really serious, but have you gone through red tape and bureaucracy of the law? I have. And, and, and I really understand, uh, and I'm sure you can too, if you've ever tried to get a building inspected or anything like that, you understand the expression a little bit better now that says, go fight City Hall. You cannot fight City Hall. See, you can't, you can't fight against the law. You can't fight against the law. That's the same way with justification. The law stands. God says you are righteous. You are justified as a gift in spite of your sinful behavior. So why do you think you can lose your justification by your sinful behavior? You see, it's absurd. Jesus paid the ultimate price for our salvation while we were yet sinners, as Paul said in Romans 5.8. So why would he throw that away? In fact, Paul went on in the next verse to say, much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. Not we can or we might be saved, we shall be saved. What a promise. I'm glad you could be here today for verse by verse, and I hope it was encouraging. 
Pastor Steve Kreloff will have more on our next program about God's sovereignty and our security. Pastor Steve is the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. Find out more at lakesidechapel.com or call 727-441-1714. That's 727-441-1714 or lakesidechapel.com. Verse by Verse is an outreach of Lakeside, but we depend in large part on the generosity of listeners like you who have been blessed by these radio Bible studies. If you'd like to help defray the expenses of airtime and production costs, we make it easy to give online through the giving page at versebyverseradio.org. Or you can call Lakeside at 727-441-1714. We also have a large library of free audio files where you can stream or download any of our previous broadcasts. Just click the link to the Message Archive page. That's at versebyverseradio.org. And we're thankful for our supporters, too, but we do encourage you to be first faithful to your own church. I'm Jerry Peterson. At the very start of Romans 8, Paul said, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So, to say that Jesus would destroy his reputation by first justifying us and then turning right around and condemning us, well, that's just absurd, isn't it? On our next verse-by-verse, Pastor Steve will show from Scripture that no one, not even Jesus himself, will ever undo our salvation. You've been listening to Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. This program was pre-recorded. To learn more, including how to donate to this ministry, visit versebyverseradio.org. That's verse. We are here to give you strength between. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.